And, and Wayne, if, if you are to book a hunt with an outfitter in Colorado to hunt elk or, you know, Utah to hunt mule deer or whatever the case may be, they're going to have food plots on those on those reserves or preserves. I always get the words mixed up. But where, those places where those outfitters have got those ranches for you to hunt, they're going to be food plots. Oh, yeah. There's going to be food plots and there's going to be one other key ingredient you need. Water. Water. Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn to climb. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friend. I'm Red Bull Mike Crace. Wayne Locke is in the studio, and Alex Rutledge joins us from somewhere in the Northern Territory. Where in the world are you? Redbone, my visa job has me up here by the Canadian border in the beautiful state of Michigan. And they called the town Shavarville. Okay, so are you running from the hurricane or what? <laughs> I guess I am running from the hurricane. Shavoy, uh Michigan is a beautiful state right here in a beautiful area I'm in. And I have run from southern Missouri to avoid the terrible, terrible storm that's coming. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, it, I don't want to make light of it because, uh, of course, this show is going to air on Saturday. But as we record on Wednesday, uh, they're predicting a, uh, yeah. now they're saying, Wayne, a Cat 5 hurricane when this storm hits uh, hits the uh, the coast. And they say it's going to be bigger and it's already creating waves bigger than Katrina. So it's a very serious oh, storm. Wow. And by the time this show airs, we'll we'll kind of know all of that. But, uh, Alex, they're saying here in southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, we are going to feel some of the effects of that. Wow. I tell you what, if people haven't got their food plots in, it would be a great time to get them in before this storm hits here. And as we're talking here, my good friend, uh, co-host, and, and one of the brand managers, Wayne Lack, who's on the show with us, been breaking my dirt while I'm out here trying to make a living. And I want to thank Wayne on our show here for doing what he's doing. I appreciate you, Wayne. Hey, no problem. I got my two uh, cups of drinks here because I've been sucking dust all day today. <laughs> it is so dry. Every time I turned the tractor, I was driving through another smoke cloud. But uh, no, I got a cup of water Redbone gave me, and I got a cup of coffee, and I'm going to try to keep my mouth a little parched. Well, you know, we got a great show lineup for all of our listeners across the world, the country. We're going to talk about what I do and what we do to create successful food plots, which creates turkeys and deer coming into these food plots, selecting the right locations, and why we select those locations. So it's going to be a great show, everybody. All right, so why don't we jump right into that, Alex, because uh, my first question would be, and I think a good place to start, is where is the proper place to put a food plot, and why would you put it there? Okay, the proper place to put a food plot is anywhere that you can have deer to come to that certain location. And some of the things that I look for when creating a successful food plot is the number one thing is a area that I know that they will feel safe in. They feel secure. So, for example, my 125 acres that Linda and I own, we plant a majority of our food in the center of the property, don't we, Wayne? You got it. And the purpose behind that is when I create the majority of the food in the middle of the property, most of the deer, the turkeys, will come into that, and it keeps them away from the neighbor's boundaries. By doing that, 
they will come in there and they feel secure because the pressure that may be on your borders is your property. So what you do, other than that food plot, you can do things to create better habitat. For example, going in and select cutting or clear cutting certain areas, which creates great bedding for the white tip. And that- nesting for the turkeys. Yeah, exactly. Now, Alex, when you're when you're choosing that spot, uh, I mean, do do you want woods on two sides of this food plot? I mean, I would think that ideally, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, if I had woods on at least two sides and connecting sides to that, that that gives the deer a way to get onto my property. Depending, uh, regardless of which way the wind's blowing. Exactly. Uh, my location, on one of the main food plots I have on my property, we have two power lines that come into the main food source, which we plant Eagle Seed Sporty Sport. And if you think about it, and several people, most of you heard this show before and talk about the Sporty Sport, it's like walking into a restaurant and it's got everything that you want right there. It's got 10 different ingredients in it, brassicas and perennials. And what it does, it creates a food source that the deer uh, like because they can choose what they want and eat what they want in there. And it appeases to them, and it causes deer to travel a long ways. And to all the listeners that's listening, if your neighbors isn't, isn't planning what the Eagle Seeds Mortgage Board is, you're going to pull deer and turkeys from their properties on your property. And, of course, you want easy access for those deer uh, to, to travel to. And, and that's why I think it's important that you do have some woods somewhere around. Exactly. The secret to it is, again, and I want to repeat, is when you create that food plot, they got to have bedding there, water, and they feel secure going in and out of that food plot. If you have your food plot close to high-traffic areas, and say they get pressure from hunters, which it could be uh, hunting the boundaries, they don't feel safe there. So the whole idea behind this food plot is to create a sanctuary. And what I want to share with and throughout the show is what creates a sanctuary. And we've touched on that a little bit, but the idea is, again, repeating for them to be able to walk out any time they want to eat and not feel any danger. Yeah, and a lot of that's got to come from the uh, from the landowner too, because I, I know you, I've heard you say a uh, hundred times before over the years that that uh, you don't you don't want to go to those food plots. So you want that food plot to be isolated somewhat into a part of the farm where you don't spend a lot of time. You're correct. Now here's here's what I want to share with the, our listeners: if you manage your property and it's not high pressure, it's kind of like a cattle farmer. If you go in and feed your cattle every day using the same vehicle, your cattle get programmed to that vehicle. They know that vehicle the same way with deer. If you're going in to check cameras, you never harass those deer or those turkeys from your vehicle, which means shooting from the vehicle, jumping out, scaring them, whatever it may be. They get used to that vehicle. Mm -hmm. That's on Right. So basically what you're doing is, by not harassing them, shooting and banging at them, or jumping out, scaring them, whatever, they get adapted to you. So what happens is, as the rut gets closer and closer, I go in and check my camera with my pickup or my golf cart, whatever I choose to do, and they do not relate that to danger. Mm -hmm. So that's a big secret to creating a successful food plot, one of many that we're going to share throughout this ship. 
Uh, very good, very cool, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, how you know when when you're talking about it, and, and we're, again, we're in the beginning stages of the show. So, how big uh, is an ideal food plot? Well, it depends. What you got to look at is you need to see uh, what your population is. Do you have a lot of deer? Well, if you have a lot of deer, a lot of turkey, you need a bigger food plot. Mm-hmm. The larger the food plot, the more animals that you will hold on your property. Okay, and I guess lots, and it has a lot to do with how much property you actually have that you can set aside for the uh, f- for feeding the wildlife. Say also, there's uh, you know the little honey holes. You know we can't overlook those too. Uh, you know instead of having your main food plot, having these little honey holes for guys that uh, like up in Ohio. You know when we got only three, four, five acres to hunt. You know we're not going to be putting in a two, three acre food plot. Right. Uh, so it was nothing. It was you know something for us to try and find like natural clearings clear them out a little bit by hand, uh, even if it was uh, about a quarter acre. But if you could get three or four of those quarter acres near each other, then you got plenty of deer coming in and they're not, you know, destroying one area at one time. They're able to bounce around during the day, get up, go to an area, feed at that one, come in during the evening, feed at a different one. So, you know, having some small ones around each other uh, works works just as good for guys that don't have a lot of equipment to, to break in that. But speaking of break, it is time for our break. <laughs> so we'll be right back with American Roots Outdoors, Alex Rutledge, Mike Crace, and Wayne Locke. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big board for a while. like load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler. Take it to a feed. Hornady presents... American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. I'm the Red Bull Mike Race. Uh, Wayne Locke is with me here in the studio. And um, Alex is in an area where his phone signal was kind of coming and going, so he's going to rejoin us a little bit later on here on the program. But, Wayne, we left off last segment uh, talking about food plots, and that's what we're talking about today, kind of the do's and don'ts and the why's and why nots and and advantages and maybe even some disadvantages to food plotting and and where you put one. And we kind of left off talking about... um, Small food plots, and that's kind of what we want to focus on here because there is a place for smaller food plots when you're talking about food plotting your property. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get discouraged because they watch some of these hunting shows and they see these guys out there, you know, with these huge uh, cultivators and they're big tractors, $150,000 tractors. They think, man, you know, no wonder they got the big deer. Look at what the equipment they're using. <laughs> that's not the case. I mean, right. you can literally put a food plot in by hand. Minimal uh, tools, you know, other than hey, get yourself a chainsaw, a rake, uh, maybe another one or two guys to give you a hand to drag some of those trees out of the way. Clear yourself just a small opening. Quarter acre is really all you need for a good size, you know, for a small size food plot. And if you put enough of those in around an area, you're going to draw tons of deer. And you don't even and, and not only do you, can you plant the uh, the eagle seed, but just some of the natural grasses that are going to be growing around there are great for them to come in and forage on and for um, to keep them out of sight for protection in that. Yeah, and I agree with you. And because not everybody has the opportunity uh, to put in an acre or a two acre or a five acre food right. plot, and you just have to kind of you know make good with what you've got to make good with. And, and a lot of folks may say, well, I can only put you know a food plot out there that's uh, you know, 50 by 80. Uh, well, that's okay. And if you can find another spot over there 100 yards away to put another one and another spot over there the other direction 100 yards away, then you're creating a trail. 
and you can actually hunt that trail from one food plot to the next. Well, exactly. And you and that gives you also a chance to plant a variety. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to plant the same thing in all four of those small food plots. You know, maybe put like red clover down on one, put smorgasbord down on the other, put some soybeans down on another one. I mean, you've got uh, sunflower seeds, mm-hmm. you know, for your, your turkey and that. you got a variety of stuff you can do. And even with those quarter acres, if you put sunflower seeds like around all your perimeters of that, it's going to be phenomenal come fall time for the turkey and that to feed on when those uh, things finally dry out, the head dry out, and they fall over. Now, one of the disadvantages to doing the smaller food plots just in, say, natural clearings is the fact that you may not get as much sun. Correct. Uh, so you, you've got to plant according to uh, the recommendations of how much sun that particular food plot's going to get. Right. And, and because, you know, typically if you're planting a food plot in the middle of a five-acre wood patch and it's not very big, chances are you're just going to get sun from, you know, 10 to 2. Right. You're just going to get a few hours. So you've got, you've got to make some adjustments there. And, and that's where contacting uh, folks like the folks at Eagle Seed, uh, they're always happy to talk to you about that kind of thing. And, and you know, we've had uh, those folks on the air with us saying, you know, call us and, and we'll answer any questions you might have and what might be best to plant uh, in that area. You've also got rocks to contend with and, and lots of other things. So you've, you, you've got to plant according to what you've got the availability to grow. Exactly. And that's, you know, Brad has always said, if you have a question, give him a call over there at Eagle Seed. They'd be more than happy to spend the time with you uh, to go through what they think will be the best, you know, seed uh, that they can offer for your particular situation. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things that they're going to ask you is, have you checked your soil? Right. And I I know we've been pounding this in every (laughs) every episode for the last few weeks, but I, I cannot stress the importance of getting a soil sample, paying the $16, because it will save you hundreds of dollars and a lot of disappointment uh, later on. Yeah. And it's regardless of where you're going to plant. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Whether you're in a big field, plant. small field, you're a clearing you just made, get that soil sample because you got to have the pH balance right. If the pH is off, when you get that soil sample results back, it's going to tell you how much lime do you need to add, how much fertilizer do you need to add, how much ash do you need to add. Mm-hmm. And it, some of it is so simple, and, and none of it is anything that you can't pack in either in a backpack or on an ATV or UTV or something like that. Yeah, you know, and, and I love the small food plots. Because I like to hunt in the woods. We, we talked about that with Jeff Burkhart last week on the show. Uh, I'm a woods hunter. I like nothing better than sitting at the, at, the, at the base of a great old big white oak tree, sitting on top of a ridge, and, and watching the bottoms and watching the other side of the hill. And that's where I like to hunt. So the idea of putting in some smaller food plots and putting them uh, in a line gives me plenty of opportunity to enjoy what I enjoy, and that's hunting the woods. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I'm a woods hunter. I don't hunt big fields. A, because I never really had big fields to hunt. Uh, you know, in Ohio, m- most of my tracks were anywhere from three to five acres mm-hmm. that I was hunting. Um, I did have one uh, farm that I was hunting there for a while. It had 50 acres, but of the 50, most of it was, you know, agriculture. Right. There was very little woods. But in that in that little bit of woods was a little clearing that was just a an old logging road and I took and cut it down by weed whacker by hand. (laughs) And then I just drove my truck back and forth with a a homemade little, uh, almost want to say like a toother that's in the back there. And it just tore it up just enough for me just to throw some seed down. And you would be amazed just with the red clover that I put down, 
how much activity I got in there. Matter of fact, almost most of my does that I shot that were not in an urban area was on that that old tractor road. Yeah, and, and another great place to look at, and I know Alex kind of touched on this a little bit ago because he does it on his farm, is the power line clearings. You know, they, they call them fire breaks. Yes. Uh, where the power lines run through or maybe just between two fields or two patches of woods, there's a fire break uh, to help to keep fires from spreading across big patches of woods. A great place to just, you know, break you up something about 10 or 20 feet wide, if you can, and just go in there and plant a little food plot. And speaking of how wide to make it, that's one thing to keep in mind. If you are a bow hunter, you do not want your food plot to be 150 feet wide. (laughs) You know, or, or, you know, you don't want to make a hundred wide food plot, hundred yard wide food plot. Keep in mind that you should be able to, you want to be able to shoot. That deer is hugging the tree line on the other end. Keep that, that food plot in that distance, you know, try to keep it that 50 yards at the max. So no matter which side you're on. It's going to be in range. Yeah, either that or, or like I mentioned, and I asked Alex, or uh, make sure you've got tree lines on at least two sides so you can hunt the wind and, and hope that that deer is coming out and running that tree line along that food plot, uh, which a lot of the folks that do the big food plots, I mean, they still hunt the edges. Uh, but, boy, I tell you, I've never had the opportunity to go to a big food plot and sit in a tree stand or a blind and see deer coming out into the food plot and see, you know, I see it on TV, you know, 25 or 30 deer out in the food plot. Right. I've never had that opportunity. I don't know what I would do. I'd probably start shaking and, and, and just leave. Well, it's funny you say because the first time I ever saw that is when I started filming Alex about mm-hmm. uh, six years ago. And we went into his food plot and his tower stand. And uh, as the afternoon started progressing into the evening, all of a sudden these deer just started filtering in from all over. And next thing you know, there's 40 deer out in the field. And I'm looking around I'm like, why is he not shooting? <laughs> I mean, by, by now I would have <laughs> I would have had my doe tag filled. But, uh, you know, he when you're able to get that kind of property and you have that kind of uh, amount of deer on it and that kind of success with your your food plots, you can be more picky. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why we're telling you this, guys, because if you want to kill trophy deer, uh, this is a great way to increase greatly your chances of killing that trophy deer. Right. We need to go to a break. Uh, we'll have more. As Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy, Alex Rutledge, with American Roots Outdoors. Up a big old hill, year after year, got my hunting gear. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm Red Bull Mike Race. Wayne Locke is in the studio. Alex is still trying to find a good signal, and he's somewhere, as we record this, up in uh, northern Michigan, and I think he's, uh, I think he's trying to get to Canada. I think he's wanting to go on a moose hunt. <laughs> <laughs> moose, bear, they got some great hunting up there. Uh, they do, man. They do. I, you know, I've never wanted to leave the United States, but uh, I wouldn't mind living in Canada. I'm no. just going to put that out there. Um, and you know, who knows? I may get that opportunity someday. Uh, we've been talking food plots on the program today, and, and, I, and I think we're going to continue to do that here, uh, Wayne and. Um, you know, the importance of food plots. Now, there are a lot of people that say, oh, food plots, I don't need them. And that's okay, too. You know, we're not trying to tell you you can't kill good deer without having food plots because you can. I've been doing it for years. I've never hunted a food plot in my entire life. Right. Uh, I mean, I've hunted places where, uh, you know, there's good clover growing or, you know, uh, uh, you know, good crops that were growing, but never something that was in- intentionally put in as a food plot. Right. Uh, but uh, that's changing this year. I've got my eagle seed, and uh, here over the next week, we're trying to get that seed in the ground. We're going to put about an acre food plot. 
on some new property that we've got to hunt. And that's what we want to touch on here is the time to plant your food plots. And and in a nutshell, the answer is right now. Yeah. Or the other way of looking at it is whenever you can. But keep in mind, now for us down here in southern Missouri is the perfect time because we've been saying the last few weeks, everybody's been asking well, should I, shouldn't I have it in by now? Should I be getting... The problem is, if you would have put that food plot in two, three weeks ago, it'd mm-hmm. be dead. Because we've had no rain to feed that those seeds as they're trying to sprout up. Right. Today, I broke Alex's ground, and I was rushing as, as fast as I can to get it done because we have rain in the forecast. So that's why over the last few weeks, I've been saying, don't worry about it if you don't get it in now, because it's better to, to wait two weeks and have a successful plot than to put it in when you're supposed to, and I'm doing it in quotes right now. Right. Um, and then lose it because you had no rain. Yeah, or just a, a terribly hot weather like we've had over the last couple of weeks. Right. I mean, with heat indexes near 100 and, and the sun just beating down on anything, even if you had a little bit of rain, uh, it was probably going to burn up. So right now, as the cooler temperatures from here on out, we're going to see cooler temperatures. we got a little rain forecast, of course, uh, this weekend. And uh, next week, we have a little rain forecast. So we're going to see some showers along now as we get into September. And now, you early season bow hunters. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're going to be right as those food plots are beginning to to get to where the deer are going to start coming in. But if you're waiting and putting this food plot in to hunt the gun season, you've still got some time. Oh yeah, yeah. There's plenty of stuff out there. Matter of fact, there's specific things that are you're going to plant that are not going to be ready until then. Right. Uh, you got your um, uh, your beets and things like that. Uh, your bulb stuff that specifically the deer are not even going to touch it until after that first frost. Right. Because it's got to turn sweet. You got it. And the frost will bring the sugar up and the deer will just go crazy. Oh, yeah. Then they'll be pawing the ground up and digging it all up. Yeah. Uh, so you still got plenty of time, guys. And, you know, and one of the things about these food plots is is they're going to be good. And, and with the uh, like the smorgasbord that we've been talking about today by Eagle Seed, uh, which is endorsed and created by Alex Rutledge and the American Roots team, uh, it's going to grow and continue to grow and keep deer in feed throughout the winter. Uh, with the beets and the and the turnips and other things that will grow along with it. So, you know, and the clovers are going to come back in the spring. They're going to be there for your turkeys. You know, that clover will start growing in March when the weather starts to warm up a little bit. And it's going to be there for, you know, your turkey season in, in April and May. So uh, it's not like you're just putting something out just to deer hunt. Right. You have six months of deer food coming up on it. And then the springtime, you have all your clover and that that the turkey are going to be going after. And again, I'm going to just reiterate, if you do not have the equipment to put stuff into the ground so you can get soil covered on it, the easiest thing that you can put out there is just red clover. And mm-hmm. if you put it out the day before it rains, it, red clover it only has to go in the ground less than a quarter of an inch. So if you put it out right before it rain, just the rain droplets alone will be enough to bury it. And it's an annual, so you're going to get, it'll grow um, about, I, I believe, four to seven inches tall. Uh, you get fantastic growth out of it. The deer are going to be all over it. The turkey will be all over it. If you love fall turkey hunting, you're going to love that because it's going to bring them over into it. And it's simple. It's cheap. And Eagle Seed uh, has it. You can go to your conservation department. A lot of them have programs where they you get free red clover uh, from your conservation department. I know Missouri Conservation Department has it available right now that if you call them up, they will get you a bag of uh, red clover for really? your property. Yes. 
Wow, see, that's fantastic. And and if it, you know, if you want to turn your cattle in on it, you can do that too because they'll right. like it. They'll like it as well. And the goats and the sheep and everything else. So uh, yeah, folks, get those uh, you know get those food plots out. It's not too late now. Uh, but I would say if you can't get it done in the next couple of weeks, you're going to kind of be pushing it unless you just want it for the late season hunt. Uh, you know, the bow season after the gun season, and then on to the end of the spring. Right. Yep. And, and if you can't get it in this year, don't fret it. Just work on it. You know, this gives you the time to get the area prepped for next next year. If that's all you can do this year, then so be it. Uh, I know over at my property there in Birch Tree, I the first year, all I did was spend most of the year and the fall time clearing the area. And mm-hmm. it's not a big area. It's only a one-acre plot. Right. But I've got time, you know, gives you a chance to get your mineral sites in, you get your cameras up, start putting a plan together where you're going to push your logs to funnel your deer into your food plot. It really helps you out where you know you can put your stand location in there, too. Yeah, and I think, that, and I think that's a really good idea there, Wayne, is, is to start planning. Even if you don't plan on planning now— Start planning where you want to put that food plot and start working working toward next year. And there are food plots you can put in in the spring just for the turkey hunt. Sure. And then there are food plots that you can put in that will last through the summer that will keep your deer coming back and keep them there on your property and attract more deer. So when the fall comes around, boom, you are ready to go. Yeah, and pull up an aerial map. I mean, look at your property, figure out where your ridges are, where your valleys are, you know, put up some cameras check trails, and just kind of put a plan together. This gives you all fall, all winter to look at it. And so next year, instead of scrambling around now and getting a, a half-baked uh, food plot, you'll have even a, a real successful one next year by putting just a time and effort into planning it correctly. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, and, and again, we're talking food plotting today, and we're going to continue to talk about that. But but I know that there's, there's, there's some hunters out there right now and they're listening to this show thinking, oh, I don't need food plots. I know where the deer cross on my farm every day. And, you know, what What, what do you say to those guys? Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. You, I think do you, you're exactly right. I right. Do you have right. to have a food plot to be successful? No. I mean, if you think about it in the realm of hunting, food plot is a new thing. Yeah. I mean, it's only been really going around and gotten very popular just over the last 20 years. But prior mm-hmm. to that, what did guys hunt? They hunted natural grasses. They hunted uh, farmers' crops, farmers' fields, which guess what? Those are natural food plots. Yeah. All we're doing is just changing the uh, the the garden variety, the buffet, as you can say, to something maybe a little bit more enticing. Now, one thing I do want to say, and Alex has talked about this too, when, when, when the deer get in the rut, your does are still going to come to the food plot. Your bucks are just going to chase after them. Right. Uh, so, you know, when you get to that time, uh, you know, you're, you're hunting the trails to the food plot. Correct. All right. And, and another thing I'm going to say about that is uh, when the acorns are falling, that's when your food plot's going to grow the best oh, yeah. because the deer are going to be in the woods where they feel totally safe and they're going to be eating the acorns. Oh, no doubt. I mean, if, you, well, if, you, if you're sitting on your food plot, man, man, I have not seen a deer all day. There's probably a reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after that red bone and that Wayne Locke and that Alex Rutledge. They told me to put out a food plot, and I'm not seeing any deer <laughs> in my food plot at all. Well, that's because they're eating the acorns. So, uh, you know, there's just not anything in the wild that's going to draw those deer away from those acorns. It is their food staple. Oh, it's a delicacy. Yeah, you're not going to pull it away from it. If you're not seeing them in your food plot, move your stand 100 yards in the woods, you'll probably find them. Uh, yeah, I should find you a big old white oak tree that's uh, dropping them. And it sounds like machine guns going off. Right. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking about the food plots and, you know, they're not successful. I'm not having, you know, I was talking about if you 
put your food plot down and it's not growing and it's because you didn't you put it down too early didn't have rain and it died it wasn't the fact that the food plot didn't do it it was your preparation didn't do it yeah. but we're going to touch on real quickly when we come back from break we'll start off by touching on what else could be causing your food plot to be not growing so we'll be back right after this with American Roots Outdoors with Mike Crace, Wayne Locke, and Alex Rutledge. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. Boots, passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart so you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We're into our final segment of the show for this week, and we've been talking food plots. and And I hope you're giving you some ideas, and and maybe you know, maybe you're one of the guys that are still skeptical. And we talked, touched on that just a moment ago. Or maybe you're all gung ho, and maybe you've got food plots. You've been food plotting for for years. You know, if you do, uh, the advantages that it can give you uh, to the deer hunt coming up, whether it be a bow hunting, uh, you know, alternative methods or rifle season, whatever the case may be, uh, food plot certainly are a plus on any farm. I don't care where it is. And, and, and Wayne, if, if you are to book a hunt with an outfitter in Colorado to hunt elk or, you know, Utah to hunt mule deer or whatever the case may be, they're going to have food plots on those on those reserves or preserves. I always get the words mixed up. But where, those places where those outfitters have got those ranches for you to hunt, they're going to be food plots. Oh, yeah. There's going to be food plots and there's going to be one other key ingredient you need. Water. Water. Yeah, and, and we haven't touched on that today. And, and one of my questions for Alex before we lost Alex was, how close to a water source do you need your food plot to be? And, and the reason I ask this, and again, because like you, I like to hunt the woods. So if I'm going to put a food plot, I want it to be probably within 100 yards of a water source, whether it be a spring-fed pond or a, a you know, whatever, because that's where I'm going to hunt. I'm going to find where they're going from the food plots to the water, from the water to the food plot. That's where I'm going to put my stand. Yeah, it's funny you say that because there's actually a, a triangle system you can use. If you can find their bedding area, mm-hmm. that's one point of your triangle. You find the watering source that is nearby, a natural watering source. That'll be your other point of your triangle. And put your food plot in the third point. Because when those deer get up, there's two things on their three things on their mind. Water, food, and during the rut ladies Mm -hmm. so if you can get yourself that little triangle going you're going to be totally fine now if you can get the food plot put in and have enough room to put your own watering hole even better sure and i'm going to go back to the the conservation department actually has programs where they will come in and if you put a watering hole in for the um the wildlife they will actually pay you to have that done I mean, and why not take advantage of it? I mean, if they're going to give you, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars to have a watering hole put in, take advantage of it. I had mine put in three years ago, and it is. It, it took about a month for it to start holding water, and during the hottest months, the longest droughts we've had in the last three years, I've never not had water in that that pond. Really, and it is loaded with tracks. Like this last month, especially, it is tore up with tracks because that's the only water hole that is around until you go another, you know, mile and a half down the road to uh, Alex property he's got a watering hole too but in between around there that's it wow so yeah you want that food plot to be somewhat 
relatively close to your food, to a watering source. Right. And a bedding area, which is only natural. All right, so, uh, Wayne, uh, uh, while we were on the break, you were talking about, uh, we might want to touch on some of the reasons that someone's food plot did not do well. Yeah, and we're going to go back to just some of the basics. You know, again, you didn't have enough lime down. You didn't do check your pH. You didn't put fertilizer down. If you're putting your seed down, put the fertilizer down at the same time. If you don't know if it needs lime, lime ain't going to hurt. Throw it down too. And lime is cheap. You know, we're talking $6, I think, for like 50 pounds of it. So it's not going to, you know, break you a bag of fertilizer. One 50-pound bag for a, a, a one-acre plot would be plenty. Get like triple 13 or whatever your conservation area, you know, would recommend. They're a great resource too. You know, call them up if you're curious about anything. They can tell you what's best for the area that you live in, you know, depending on your state and that. But the uh, I was over at a friend's house last week helping them with their food plot. And they had put down soybeans. And it was about a one-acre soybean patch, maybe a little less. And in there, it was all their soybeans were literally like three inches tall. Wow. And it's like, man, I mean, what's going on? What happened? Did you not do it or whatever? And then as I started approaching it, I started looking around, and I just see nothing but deer prints. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, they're overpopulated. So no matter how much they were putting down, they just did not have enough to sustain the amount of deer that was coming in that property. Now, what they did as just a test, because it was something that they had were told to, to, to do by Eagle Seed when they talked to Brad was cage an area. Just get yourself a little three-foot round cage six foot tall and uh you know when you put your seat down put a little cage down and then just kind of see what it should be doing and i'm going to post that picture this uh when we release the show on saturday i'm going to post a picture of their food plot with that cage their food plot is three inches tall all their plants two to three inches tall where that cage is five feet tall yeah so that, that gives you an idea of that's how much pressure they're getting right now. If they did not have, if they would have fenced off that area, all their soybeans would be five feet tall right now. Yeah, and and, and, and that's the point. And Brad will tell you that if you are overpopulated, uh, you almost can't put in a food plot big enough no. to, to allow it to grow to maturity uh, because the deer are just going to eat it off. Now, the good thing about the eagle beans, especially the forage beans, they'll just keep coming back. As long as they're getting a little bit of rain every once in a while, they'll just keep coming back. Uh, but uh, the chance of them ever getting to maturity and actually putting on beans and really being beneficial to the deer uh, is just not going to be there. So um, the thing you need to do is put a fence around that track. Yeah, and it's just I mean, you don't have to have anything fancy, anything, spend a ton of money on it. If you just put some barbed wire around it and run your, yourself one strand of wire about a foot mm-hmm. and a half from your barbed wire, just one strand about knee height to a deer, they're not going to jump it because they can't judge that distance between the wires. Right. And and we learned that from Brad. Right. And he said, you know, it's, it's relatively simple. Just put, uh, if you want to do two strands of electric or put a strand of barbed wire and a strand of electric, uh, yeah, it'll keep the deer from, from jumping into that food plot. Yeah, you don't have now to my sink question, tons of money. And, and my question would be there, Wayne, and you may not know the answer to this, and, and if those deer get discouraged, will they leave and not come back? No. They will keep coming back. They'll keep coming back because as long as it's there, they're going to keep coming back because their stomach is going to drive them. And if they know there's food there, they're going to keep coming back. And as soon as you pull that barbed wire down, it's it's cat's meow. I mean, they're going to they're going to know it and they're going to be back every day. And next thing you know, your food plot's gone. But that's why you don't pull it down until a few days before the season starts. Get ready to get ready to hunt. Yep. Well, we hope you've learned something today, and of course, uh, the internet is full of great resources. And uh, uh, you know, Wayne, uh, you mentioned Missouri Department of Conservation, their website. Uh, they've got article upon article upon article on food plotting. Uh, there are other 
uh, agencies, University of Missouri Extension Council, We've got all kinds of articles. You can go by your extension office in your, your county, pick up brochures on food plotting and planning. And, uh, you know, this show airs from, you know, from Cape Girardeau down to Poplar Bluff, up to Salem, uh, here in the Thayer Mammoth Spring and region across the north central Arkansas, south central Missouri, over to Ava and southwest Missouri. Every area is going to be a little bit different. Right. And if you're listening to the podcast, you could be in Michigan or Ohio, Pennsylvania. Exactly. It all applies. Exactly. And it's all, you know, it's all going to be a little bit different. So, you know, what we say is going here, uh, you know, is somewhat going to apply everywhere, but you need to get to the specifics for the climate in which you live. Right. Timelines will be a little off. Yeah. Timelines will be a little off. If you're listening in Alabama, you probably should have had that food plot in already. Yeah, and I guarantee if you're in Ohio, you're too late now. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, folks, uh, good hunting to you. You know, we'll be back again next week. We'll talk more uh, more hunting, and I think we'll probably talk a little bit of fishing next week because the fishing has actually started to turn on a little bit since the nights. Uh, well, until just recently, the nights were getting cooler. You know, we had a little stretch there. We're getting down in the 50s and the 60s, and the fishing really turned on again, especially in the Corps of Engineer Lakes along the uh, along the state line, Bull Shoals and Norfolk and, and over to uh, Table Rock. Uh, but, uh, and even up at Wapapello, I think I heard, over near Poplar Bluff, they said that uh, the fishing turned on there for a little while. But uh, we're going to have to see what kind of effect uh, this hurricane has on yeah. the fishing, because did, it certainly will. Yeah, and I did notice it looks like we have some good cool-down temperatures coming next week, so that's uh, yeah. going to be a plus. Yeah, that will help. And uh, don't forget to join us for our bonus segment on the uh, – the podcast so you, even though the radio segment ends here there is going to be another bonus segment just tune into the podcast uh check it out leave us a review when you do leave us a review you're automatically going to be entered for a contest we got going on right now for a bag of eagle seed and we also have another giveaway going on uh, for some hats and decals and some clothing items all right very good folks that wraps it up for this week for alex rutledge and for wayne lock i'm the red bull mike grace remember when your roots run deep and strong there's no reason to fear the wind. And your food plots grow better. <laughs> so you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. If you're listening to this, that means you are on the podcast and listening to our bonus segment. We welcome you to the podcast and we ask that you uh, leave us a review. We have a bunch of contests going on right now for those people that leave a review. And uh, just remember, if you do leave a review, pop on and uh, Facebook or Instagram. Shoot us a message of what your username is so we know how to get in contact with you if your name is drawn. Uh, we're having that issue right now. <laughs> we got a few people that, that left reviews, but they did not tell me who they were. So. Oh, well, yeah, we, yeah, we need to know who Yeah, you we are. need to know who they are. So if, you, you are. if you're one of those ones, just pop back on uh, the uh, Facebook, American Roots Outdoors Facebook page. Shoot a message to us. Let us know that it was your review, and this way we can get you contact if you are the winner. Um, hey, let's touch base on some uh, non Food plot, food plots. Okay. If that makes any sense. So what, what I'm referring to is, let's say you don't have the equipment, you don't have the money, you don't have the time to put in a food plot yourself. Hey, you only got a few weekends a year to even get out. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always found very beneficial for me, especially when I was younger, and by younger, I mean, I was doing this up until about five years ago. So um, 
if I, I didn't have the space to, I didn't own property, I didn't have the space to put a food plot in, I could never get permission to, you know, tear up somebody's ground and put a food mm-hmm. plot in. But what I did do is I, I knew where the area I was hunting. I would get on like Google Earth. We've talked about this before. You've brought up Google Earth as a, as a mm-hmm. great tool. Look at the farms around where you hunt. Find out, then drive around them, find out what they're putting in. Is it corn? Is it soybean? You know, what do they have growing there? And then go to that farmer and say, hey, if I give you $100, can you leave that corner up for me? You know, and then and not, put cut, your, not cut that not corner cut or, not, or not cut the soybeans or, or whatever. You got it. Yep, just leave it standing. And then you, most farmers, a hundred dollars in the pocket that day, they'll be more than happy. Yeah. Just for a few <laughs> rows of corn. Right. For a few rows of corn. Yeah. We're not asking for them to leave five acres worth. You know, all you need is just literally, if you're talking like 30 yards by like 50 yards of corn or soybean, that's all you need. Um, and then when they take out their stuff and generally they're pulling that stuff out right when bow season opens up, mm-hmm. the deer will be all over that standing corn come wintertime, especially if they, if you're not too overpopulated. You're going to have deer in there all winter long, pulling that corn off, that husk and that, and tearing into it. Plus, they love using it for just a security area. They'll stand in that corn. They'll bed in that corn because it keeps them hidden from the roads. Uh, a lot of times, you know, most of your food, or your uh, farmer's plots and that are right along roadsides. But if they got that little security, they'll sit in there. It's a great windbreak for them. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, advantages to just talking to a farmer saying, hey, if I, you know, if I drop you 50 or 100 bucks, can you leave a little bit standing for me? Most farmers will say yes. I've never had a farmer say no. Really? Well, that's, yeah, that's good information for those places where there are a lot of farm crops. But now here in the hill country, we don't grow a lot of corn, although we're growing more now than we used to, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not a whole lot of soybeans. So, you know, what do you do when you go to that farmer? Say there's a, place, a property where you've been driving down the gravel road looking, and you see there's a nice buck that's hanging out in that field. Uh, you know, you can go to that farmer, ask him if anyone hunts on his property, if he allows people to hunt. And if he says, uh, you know, no, nobody hunts it, but I wouldn't be opposed to somebody going down there. You just never know what's going to happen. Nope. And, and we've talked about this with Alex before. Uh, you need to, uh, you need to, if, you, if, 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 if cash is, is what that farmer would like to have, then, then offer him some money. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you 250 bucks, let me rifle hunt on that 20 acres over there. Right. Uh, but if that's not going to work, say, well, I'll tell you what, if, if you'll let me hunt there, come hay season, I'll help you put your hay up. Right. Especially if they're doing square bales. Or and I'll, not, I'll help you mend fences. I'll help you mend fences. I'll help you, uh, you know, drive fence posts, whatever it is you can do. Or, you know, I will help keep an eye on your property. You know, you know I, I drive this road all the time and your house is way over there and, and I see what's on your property all the time. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I mean, there are so many things you can do to help that farmer out. That he might say, you know what, this guy's helping me out a little bit. I'll I'll be glad to let him go in and 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 harvest the deer. And the other thing is, if a farmer Wayne allows you to go on his place, do not abuse it. Nope. If you get permission to go in and and kill a buck, kill your buck and get out. Right. And and offer him some meat. Take him a Christmas sure. present. Give him a thank take, you take card. Him some, take him some deer jerky. Right. I oh. mean, it's a, that goes a long ways. And just by simply asking. I mean, a lot of guys seem to be just, I can't even tell you how many times I've went to a door, knocked on the door and said, hey, is there any chance I could have permission to hunt here? And the permission I got from one guy over there in, um, uh, it was in northeastern Ohio, but it was 150-acre uh, plot or 150-acre uh, land that this guy owned. And he said, you know what? You are the first person to ever knock on my door and just simply ask. 
He says, I'm always chasing poachers off, you know, here and there over the years and that. He says, but you're the first person has ever knocked on my door and asked. He goes, you sure can. Didn't have to pay him a dime. He was just happy that I asked. Yeah, I think there are there are a lot of landowners out there, and, and I may be speaking out of turn. If I am, you guys just send me a message on Facebook and tell me you're crazy. But I think there are a lot of people that get the reputation that, oh, he won't let anybody hunt. It doesn't even do any good to ask him. Right. Uh, when that is, in fact, not the case. Right. They, that nobody's went, ever asked. <laughs> if you went, ask, and, and he kind of knows you and know that you're a decent person, and you're going to follow all the, the rules, and you're going to follow the laws, and you're not going to shoot toward their house, and you're not going to shoot one of their cows. I think, you know, a lot of hundred, a lot of landowners would say, well, sure, I got this place back over here where, you know, I see some deer. If you'll kind of stay in that area, yeah, we can let you go in and hunt a little bit. Yeah, and, and be considerate of what their their needs may be or what their concerns are. You got guys that say, well, I really don't want to let anybody on because me and my boys, we hunt it all year. Sure. You know, we hunt then it in the fall. Fine. We don't want that's anybody great. taking it. Then just simply say, hey, I totally understand. What about like the last week of the or the last couple of days of the season after you guys have you know already hunted mm-hmm. it and stuff? Any chance I could hunt it like maybe the last weekend? Even if you get two days out of it, you may have a chance of getting getting a buck. Or if you see that they got crops in that and and you're spotting the fields and you're seeing tons of deer out there, say hey, I'll be more than happy to come out here and take some does out for you. Yeah, because that's going to help keep the population down sure. on them. And you know they may be offered they, they may be more than happy to take the, you up on that offer. Also, if they have cows and uh, sheep or anything like that, offer to do some coyote hunting on them. Oh, yeah. If you can get rid of some predators, farmers will love you for that. You know, you, uh, you, you sparked a story I remember a few years ago. A friend of mine, his son killed a really nice deer. And I know exactly the farm where, where he was hunting. And I was talking to him one night at a football game, no less, which, by the way, this is the first week of high school football season. And we were talking one night at a football game. And if he's listening right now, he knows who he is. And I, I never did go hunt the property. I said, hey, I saw that nice deer Jason killed with a bow. And he's like, yeah, it was a good one. I said, well, I'd sure like to go in there and hunt sometime. And he said, sure, as long as you wait till after Jason gets his deer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you're serious? He said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you got to wait until after, you know. Exactly. So, and it goes back to what you were saying. You know, sometimes farmers that maybe get the reputation of not wanting anybody to hunt on their property, they would be okay with it under certain circumstances and let them harvest their deer. And I think you made a great point there, uh, Wayne, about taking some does out for you. Because a lot of hunters don't want to shoot does. They don't want to mess with does, but they got an overpopulation. And they know that if they thin those does out, it's going to increase their chances of seeing bucks because the, the ratio is going to go down. So... Yeah, taking some those out of somebody's farm might be the perfect opportunity to put some meat in your freezer. Yeah, if you're looking at a field with your binoculars and you're seeing a six to one ratio, <laughs> there's a problem. Yeah, you know, you, it's, you need to get in there, get your friends in there, get some kids in there, whoever you can, and start whacking some does. Uh, great for the freezer. Great to take to the hunger centers. There's a, Missouri has a great program. Almost every state now has a program yep. where you can donate to a hunger center. Take it to an elderly person, a neighbor, maybe someone who lost their job. Help them out. Um, you know, Absolutely. there's just so much you can do with that. And and let the farmer know, hey, I'm not looking for anything for me, but I would like to, you know, shoot a doe, donate it to a hunger center, or I got a needy family. Gentleman just lost his job. Any chance I can shoot a doe to help them out? I bet you're going to be surprised at how many guys will say yes. But anyway, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today for American Roots Outdoors podcast. And I thank you for listening. Again, leave us a review and be entered into a contest. Mike Crace, thank you very much. Alex, sorry we couldn't get you back. But we'll get you back next week. This is Wayne Locke. And like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind.